0: Well, this past Sunday night, I had the opportunity to swing by a really special event that our church was hosting. It's a, new, a ministry that's new to us called Embrace Grace. And if you're not familiar with this ministry, Embrace Grace was started in 2012 with a mission of equipping churches to love on single and pregnant young women and their families. And so here's how it works. Uh, Young ladies who are single, if they go by a pregnancy center looking for support and help, they're given what they call a a love box. Inside that box is an invitation to a uh, support group called Embrace Grace. And churches host these groups uh, all around the area. This was our first time as a church body to host a group, and it's a 12-week discipleship program. And so these young moms can come in and, and be encouraged and mentored and discipled. And then at the end of the 12 weeks, or somewhere toward the end, they're not quite finished yet, but toward the end of the 12 weeks, then the church throws a baby shower for this young mom and provides you know gifts and things that the baby will need. So that was Sunday night, and I had the chance to come by and, and just, I just have to tell you to watch the, the women of our church loving on, and we had one Mom, we had a couple of them that were involved in the program, but one that's kind of stuck with it through the whole time, and, and we were able to do the shower for her. To see them loving on this young lady was, was really incredible. I mean, it, it brought tears to her eyes. It brought tears to our eyes. I mean, it was just amazing to watch that happen. And I'm always blown away by the generosity of this church family. And I love to see that. I love to see you know, that, that love in action. And she left with an SUV literally packed full of gifts, on top of that, she was able to be loved in in a unique way. I found out after the fact that uh, some of our church members actually came up and did her makeup, did her hair, um, did some, some things like that. Others came and just were a part and were there and a part of that event. And it reminded me when I read in 1 John 3, the passage that we are about to jump into today, it made me think, I saw that Sunday night. And we see these kinds of things on a regular basis, but it was really, really encouraging uh, to me to read this passage today. So I want you to open your Bible with me. We're working our way through the book of 1 John. We're in chapter 3, starting in verse 11 today. And it says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Do not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. and Why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. He reminds them in verse 11, this isn't a new message this is one that they have heard from the beginning. This is one that they have heard multiple times in this letter already. And I, I, I just you know, chuckled to myself a little bit thinking about why is it that John repeated himself so many times? Because we've seen this theme come up over and over and over again, right? And one of the thoughts that came to mind was this. John was like 90 years old when he wrote this letter. And that's what old people do. They repeat themselves over and over again, Right? Now, I'm sorry, if that offends any of our older members, I would encourage you to just talk to Tom Clark about it. He's by far the oldest one on our staff. So, you know, he could relate to you. Y'all can have a conversation. No, seriously, why? Why? It's not because he's old and repeating himself. This is inspired by the Holy Spirit, right? the, The fact that he repeats this same idea several times is because we need to hear it. We need to get it. We need to be reminded of what it looks like for love to to be put into action. And so here's really the the first point here when when he talks about loving one another. It's this reminder. Love provides evidence of our faith. Love provides evidence of our faith. Anybody out there watch any of the CSI type shows or, you know, crime scene where they're investigating different things? And, you know, always if you watch one of those shows, you know, the, the, the main goal when they come upon a crime scene is what? It's to collect evidence, right? That's what you do. You're trying to build a case. And so you collect evidence to build that case. And it blows my mind, people that I actually knew a guy uh, one time we maybe we may even have some people in our church, and I don't that do this, and I don't know it. We had somebody years ago that did, but that, that was kind of his thing, but it's amazing to me somebody who's trained in that area and that knows what they're doing, how they can take just the most minuscule piece of evidence, something that I would never even think of, right? And they can utilize that to help build a case. But let me tell you what never happens in a show like a a CSI-type show, what's not going to happen is they're not going to show up on a crime scene and there's going to be a smoking gun laying there, you know, that they can just kind of rub the fingerprints off of it and go, okay, case solved. That would make the show only like three minutes long, and it wouldn't be very interesting, right? So they have to make it a lot more uh, uh, detailed. But i got to tell you guys, when it comes to building evidence for our faith, there is a smoking gun. There is a piece of evidence that is just really clear and it just makes it obvious. And that is if we love one another. We've seen this theme many, many times. And as we've said before, it's interesting as you read 1 John to see the similarities between this letter and the Gospel of John, the same author. But the things that he recorded in the Gospel of John obviously still resonated with him because he brings them back into the letter that he writes to the church here. One of those was what he recorded Jesus saying in John 13, verses 34 and 35, when it says, Jesus said this, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so, this is the smoking gun. This is the clear piece of evidence that you belong to me. If you love one another. And then in verse 12, he gives them an example. A lot of times we say, here's what you're supposed to do. Let me give you an example. John says, here's what you're supposed to do. Let me give you an example of what not to do. Right? This is a negative example. He says in verse 12, don't be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. Now, if you need just a quick refresher on what was going on there, Cain and his brother Abel were sons of Adam and Eve. The Bible tells us in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 4, it says that in the course of time that Cain brought an offering from the first fruit, or not the first fruit, from the fruit of the the ground that he was working. It's important that it wasn't the first fruit. I'll get back to that in just a minute. But he worked the ground. Abel took care of the flocks. It says that Abel brought an, an offering, a fat offering, from the firstborn of his flocks. And God looked with favor on Abel's offering. He did not look with favor on Cain's offering. And it doesn't go into detail, but what we can surmise is this. Abel brought God an offering from the first and the best of what he had. And Cain brought an offering, it says, in the course of time. So apparently this wasn't a, hey, this is my top priority. I want to honor God by giving to God from the first and best of what I have. Which, by the way, there is a simple Really practical application for us there, isn't there? When it comes to our giving to the Lord, give from the first and the best. Let that be the first thing you do. I mean, that's a great habit to put in place. Get paid, you give. It, it, it's, it's a way of saying, God, I recognize that everything belongs to you. I want to honor you with the first and the best of what I have to give. Um, that apparently didn't happen. And so the, the problem here was that God was pleased with Abel's offering, not with Cain's. And so Cain begins to to get jealous, and God knows this, and so he warns him. Listen to what God said to him in Genesis 4, 6, and 7. It says, Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. See, he said, look, you have a problem here, Cain. And that is that this jealousy is taking root inside of him. And the jealousy would then blossom into hate. And that hate would explode into murder. And so he murders his brother. And he says, "Don't, don't do that. Don't be like that. You know the part of this story that is disturbing and even a bit scary to me is when I remind myself who his parents were? Again, Adam and Eve. So I know they weren't perfect parents. We know that they sinned and rebelled against God. We we know all that. But listen, he had parents who literally walked and talked with God. And so we're not talking about somebody who had a you know an upbringing where they wouldn't have been taught about who God is, and yet it still turned out this way. And that says to me, man, if it can happen in that setting, it can happen to any one of us. And so we need to be on our guard. We need to be careful, make sure that we are making a point to actively love one another, being very careful about any type of jealousy or hatred that can build up in us because it can lead to some really, really bad stuff. Now, I I get this is an extreme example, but it it just tells us what the human heart is capable of. And so we're to love each other. But here's another way that that, that I want us to look at that. To love each other means that we actively seek out opportunities to do that. Okay, This is more than just be nice to people when they come to you, right? I mean, that's one thing to say, be loving. If somebody comes to you, you respond in a loving manner. No, this is we seek out opportunities to love. And we seek out opportunities to love those who might not be ready to love us in return. Or, you know, who who actually might hate us, or actually might be unkind toward us. To love one another means that, that we actively seek out opportunities to love other people. And again, going back to what we said a moment ago, this is the hallmark, this is the smoking gun that points to the fact that we belong to God, that we are His children, is that we love one another. Now unfortunately, that's not always the reputation that we have, right? Right? And I believe that one of the best ways for us to bring light to the gospel is to love people well. But as Christians, unfortunately we have developed uh, more of a reputation in some cases for hate than we have for love. Granted, sometimes that's unfounded. Sometimes that's based on the fact that we just don't condone certain sinful behaviors. And so we're labeled as being hateful and that's unfair. But it could be that some of it is deserved it's a shame to me that we're not known for being loving, that, that that isn't, you know, when people think of Christians, they think they're the ones that love you no matter what. You know, it really wasn't until early 2020 that most of us really ever heard the word pandemic used in a normal sentence right this is something that we studied in history books and things like that but it wasn't part of our normal vocabulary but now that it's on the forefront of our minds did you know that Christians from the very early early days like as early as second century were known for caring for people and loving people through pandemics For example, there there was a plague called the Antonine Plague of the 2nd century. It killed about 25% of the Roman Empire. And many believe that this led to the spread of Christianity because the church stepped in even during this plague and loved people and cared for people. And it became a model for how to care for others. The next century, there was another plague and the Bishop Cyprian urged Christians to care for the sick during this 3rd century plague. And the Roman Empire, Julian, would note that Christians, and I quote, would even care for non-Christian sick people. Martin Luther did the same thing, 1500s, as a a plague broke out, and he urged pastors and, and doctors and others not to abandon their posts, but to continue to stay where they were and to serve and to love people. You see, when times are tough, and when we are put at risk, it's an opportunity for us to love one another. And so there's a long history that goes back. And even, I would say, even during this most recent pandemic, uh, many believers have, have risen to the, to the top and said, yeah, we're here to serve and to do what we can do. And so that's how we know, he says, that we have passed. And I love the way it's phrased in verse 14. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Isn't that a great description, by the way, of what it means to be a Christian? We have passed from death to life. See, being a Christian is not about being good. It's not about being born you know, into a Christian family or being born in America as opposed to another part of the world or you know anything else. It's not about going to church or doing the right things. Being a Christian is about passing from death to life. I mean, that's why the resurrection is so important. We, we, we love to to celebrate the fact that Jesus died for our sins. And we'll get into that a little bit more in, in, in just a moment. But the fact is that that isn't the end of the story. Jesus died for our sins when he was put into a grave and was then brought back to life. And it's the fact that Jesus passed from death to life that gives us hope that we too can pass from death to life. One day physically, you know, through the resurrection, through our eternal life with him, But spiritually, that's exactly what has to take place in our lives right now. The Bible's pretty clear, and I think our experience verifies this, that we are sinful people. We're not perfect. We fall short. And so as a result of that, the Bible tells us the wages of sin is death. We're separated from God. And so we need to find a way to pass from death to life. The problem is that dead people can't make themselves alive again. Only God can do that. That's what he did for Jesus. That's what happened when Jesus died and came back to life. And that's what happens spiritually for us when we come to a point of trusting in Christ. When we put our faith in him, then we pass from death to life. And one of the, the biggest pieces of evidence is that we love one another. End of verse 15 there, it says, Anyone who hates, the flip side of that, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. You know that no murder has eternal life residing in him. That, that sounds like a, a really strong term there. You're thinking, now who's going to murder somebody? Most of us probably aren't murderers. But let's remind ourselves of what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, he associated hating one another. And then he starts to talk about murder. Uh, those, those two are associated with one another. And I love the way Charles Spurgeon put it. He said, every man who hates another has the venom of murder in his veins. He may never actually take the deadly weapons into his hand and destroy life. But if he wishes that his brother were out of the way, if he would be glad if no such person existed, that feeling amounts to murder and the judgment of God. And that's the point that John is making here too. Not someone just that physically murders someone, but someone who hates another person. Then we fall into that category. He says, look, that, that just doesn't... That doesn't line up. And I'm not going to go back and re-preach last Sunday's message because we talked a whole lot about how the way we live is evidence of our salvation. You can go back and and look at the the first part of chapter 3 on that. But but what he's saying is this. if, If you really are a follower of Christ, you're going to love one another. Now let's keep reading. Verse 16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us, love, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Here's the second and the last main idea I want to leave with you today is this that love translates into action. Love translates into action action if we truly love then we're going to do something about it this is why it's so important for us to understand the purpose behind Jesus' death let me just give you an example if because if you don't understand why jesus died to say that was an expression of love doesn't make sense let's let's say that you're on vacation you're at the beach and uh, one day you know the weather's a little rough Storm's kind of blowing in. Water's real choppy, real dangerous. All the red flags are out. Can't get in the water that day. So you decide you're going to do something else. You go uh, just do some sightseeing. And part of that sightseeing is going out on a pier to see some historic site out on a pier. And you're out there on the pier and you see around you the water all around you and the whims are just whipping around everywhere. And all of a sudden there's a guy standing there on the pier and he just jumps off into the water and begins to drown. And as he's drowning... He shouts up to you, looks at you, says, and he says, I gave my life for you. Well, that, that wouldn't make a lot of sense, right? It, it would be tragic, but it would also be odd. It would be confusing. You're like, I, what do you mean you gave your life for me? Now, let's change the circumstances around that a little bit. Same day, same vacation, you're, you're out there on that pier when a massive gust of wind comes, catches you off guard, blows you off into the water. You're not a strong swimmer, and you're having trouble, and somebody jumps into the water, begins to help you stay afloat while they get a life preserver ring out to you. The person holds you up long enough to get hold of that life preserver ring. They start to haul you in on that ring. But, but this person who jumped in to help you is now beginning to struggle, is completely exhausted, and begins to drown before they're able to get the, the life preserver back to that individual. And with his last dying breath, he says, I gave my life for you. Now that would be seen as an expression of love, right? If you understand the purpose of the death, then it becomes an act of love. Jesus literally gave his life for us. We were drowning. We we were without hope. We had no opportunity to rescue ourselves. And Jesus jumped into those waters for us, held us up, and said, I'm going to give my life for you so that you can be saved. That's how we understand that this is truly an act of love. And he uses Jesus as the example as we're talking about how love translates into action. He said, just look at Jesus. Start there. I mean, in his life, love absolutely translated into action. But then the, the, the application for that or the next step is because that was true of Jesus, that should also be true of us. Because Jesus was willing to love people, then we take that love and we pass it on and we do the same thing. Christmas is coming up soon. Has anybody noticed, by the way, that everything's happening a lot earlier this year? Christmas is almost here. It's almost time to start thinking about gifts and things like that. I'm not going to ask you to fess up and raise your hands. I wonder if we have any re-gifters out there. You ever take something that you've been given and maybe pass it on to somebody else? Again, I won't, no judgment here. This is a judgment free zone. We're not gonna ask you to confess that. Um, but let me just tell you this when it comes to the gift that we have been given by God, re gifting is not only acceptable, it's absolutely encouraged we take this gift that God has given us this gift of being loved by God and we pass it on we re-gift it to somebody else we love somebody else that that's what he tells us to do and and, and here's the thing that that I want you to consider today. It talks about you know laying our lives down for our brothers and sisters just as Jesus did. It's not always just the major big things. I mean, when I think about Jesus laying his life down for us, my first thought is the cross, obviously, right? He gave himself on the cross for us. But there were a series of smaller steps leading up to that. I mean, the fact that Jesus would choose to take on human flesh in the first place, come to earth, that's a laying down of his life, that he would... Um, the Bible says that he was tempted in every way as we were, yet was without sin. And so he he suffered through those temptations. He suffered through the way that, that he was treated at the end of his life and the way he was crucified. I mean, think about all the ways that Jesus laid himself down for us before the ultimate way of dying for us on the cross. And that's probably a better picture of what it looks like for us to lay our lives down for others. See, most of us don't have a cross in our future there's not some major catastrophic type of event you know it's like I give my life in this one moment but we can lay our lives down day by day by day through simple things I mean, something maybe as simple sometimes as just smiling at a stranger, you know, can, can be a way of, of sacrificing ourselves. Maybe it's, it's just being a listening ear to someone who needs someone to talk to. Maybe it's sending that text to check on someone who's having a hard time. Or maybe it's in a conversation with a complete stranger saying, hey, is there any way I can pray for you? Little things, right? And yes, sometimes it's the bigger stuff, but laying our lives down, loving people, Sometimes it's the little things, and then sometimes it's the really practical things. Verse 17, just in case we were, were to walk away and say, well, I'm not sure how to put this into practice. John says, let me tell you very specifically one way you can put this into practice. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need and has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? See, one of the, the, the most simple yet powerful ways that we can put love into action is to help those who need help. That's what he says here. James repeats basically the same thing in James 2, 15 and 16. It says, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs. What good is it? See, lip service isn't enough. We, we, we also need to meet Practical needs. We need to look for opportunities. And one of the things I love so much about this church family is that you all do that very well. You know, everything from providing food for the local food bank on a regular basis to, you know, providing uh, coats for the Afghan refugees when that was a need, providing backpacks for children as they were starting school out at the beginning of this school year. Now we're in the process of uh, giving gifts for Christmas. For a ministry that's gonna provide them for people in need. We even have our bake sale today. It's gonna to raise money to go to Samaritan's Purse to buy shoeboxes. I mean, I love the fact that this church family is so involved in so many different practical ways of, of meeting needs, and that's wonderful. But you know, sometimes there needs to be a more personal connection to what we do as well, you know? And, and this is where we struggle. I, I'm just gonna put this out on the table. Because this is a challenge, and I'm not sure exactly what the right answer is. I'll leave it with you to wrestle a little bit. But let's just, let's just put it out there. What do you do when you pull up to that stoplight and you see the guy under the bridge holding a sign asking for money? I mean, I, I read a verse like this, and it says you see somebody in need and you don't help them. How can the love of God be in you? But then there's another side to that of, yeah, but... If I'm giving money, is that actually helping in the situation or is there a possibility that that it won't? I mean, I just from my own personal experience, this week I saw a homeless man holding a sign on the street and he was probably trying to be partly funny, but it says, I'm saving money for a prostitute. That was his sign. And I'm thinking, I definitely don't want to give to that, right? I mean, at least the guy was honest, but you don't know, right? And so it's like if I give money... Is it going to go to something like that? Is it going to go to something? I, and so there's a struggle there. If I'm giving money, am I keeping someone from actually maybe being able to get a job? So there's, it's, not, it's not easy. Here's my advice. Two things. One, pray about it and ask the Holy Spirit to guide you in those situations. And if you get a prompting from the Holy Spirit that says, give something to this person, help this person this way, or maybe there's another way to go about that, then do that. If you pray about it and don't feel prompted to do that, then don't feel guilty about that. But look for opportunities. Here's here's and here's advice number two is there there are plenty of wonderful organizations out there that you can trust and know that when you do give to them, it's actually going to be put to use in a very good way. You know, it's gonna be put to use in a way that meets practical needs, helps provide discipleship and those kinds of things. And actually, you're gonna hear from one of those and about three or four minutes here uh, because we're going to have our friends from Endoto come and share with us in a little bit. And that's been a great honor you know, for our family for several years now to have a student uh, whose name is Quincy in our case uh, that, that we've been able to sponsor and help put him through school and provide food and you know, medical resources, things like that, and to know that he's being discipled as a part of the program. You'll hear more about that in a minute, but, uh, but opportunities like that to, to make sure that, that we are loving people By meeting needs, but you want to do it in a way, in the right way, you know? And sometimes that can be a little bit challenging. So, my encouragement to you is this Um, there are a lot of different ways that we can apply what we're talking about today, putting love into action. But when the Bible lists one specifically, and one of those is use your material possessions to to bless people, um, I just want to encourage you with that, that it's there for a reason. And when we are generous with the things that we have, it opens the door for God to bless us in a variety of ways. Now, guys, I'm not saying, give $1,000, you'll get 2000 back. You will never hear a message like that in this church. But I am telling you this, that when we are generous, God does bless us in a variety of ways. I'm absolutely convinced. Maybe sometimes those are material things. Maybe they're spiritual blessings. Maybe they're relational blessings. But God does bless the generosity of his people. And so I want to encourage you with that. Find ways to be generous with with people who who need, absolutely. But it doesn't stop there. Being generous and giving to the ministry of of your church or or to a missions organization or to things like that, man, that's huge too. I'm going to tell you, we could not do what we do. We couldn't provide ongoing ministry and take care of our people and minister to our people, but also reach out beyond these walls and be involved in projects like we're involved with if it weren't for the generosity of our people. And so that's a really practical way to put love into action, is to be generous with what God has given us. If you do that on a regular basis, and here I am talking about how God blesses you, you already know what I'm talking about, don't you? Like, yeah, I get it. You know that generosity leads to the blessing of God. If you don't know that, then I want to encourage you to find it out. Discover it. And there's only one way to do that, and that's by by doing it, by putting ourselves out there. Find ways to put love into action. Find ways to take the, the gift that God has given each one of us through Christ and to turn around and love people the way we've been loved. That's our challenge today. Let's pray. Lord, I do ask today that as your people, you would help us to put love into action, Lord, help us not to to just give lip service to these things, but help us to really love well the way that you want us to. So thank you for that, Lord. And thank you for loving us. Thank you for sending Jesus to die in our place. We're so grateful. And Lord, without that, we would be so lost. But Lord, because of Christ, we're found. We know you. And thank you for that today. In Jesus' name, amen.